0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. I am Matt. I'm Matthew. And this is filmcraft. We're gonna talk about filmmaking and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Craft of film. We're not doing this. <laughs> Alright, so uh, we're going to talk about pre-production in this episode And everything that comes along with it Which is a lot of shit So this very well might end up being a two-parter We don't know, because we don't really plan things out We're just going to talk and see how it (laughs) goes But, yeah, so This is our plan, I like how Yeah, Latif did this, if you're watching on video for the last episode It's basically hieroglyphic yeah. I guess auto focus isn't on, so it's gonna be even worse,
1: but. I basically like write words on a page.
0: But words that don't even necessarily add up. Like the middle note in this one is first experience set. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one just says cliff.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, they, they held me, but like for for you, the complete garbage. So. <laughs> well, I went okay.
0: Yeah. Alright, so pre production. I guess. What is the first thing we should talk about with pre-production? Well, what is pre-production? Some people may not know. Go ahead. Inform the peeps. I don't think... I know. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with this one, it was pretty, like... It was almost seamless when, like, development blended into pre-production. Because, you know, we were working on this for eight months before we started filming from the first pitch to to shooting. And really like, I think if you were to break pre-production down, we had a two week block set for production and pre-production. So we, I took two weeks off of work Mm -hmm. from the Friday night when I finished work to two Mondays after Mm -hmm. that was everything we had for pre-production and production. And, a lot of stuff went wrong. We Don't finished me. the movie, but a lot of stuff went right, too. Um, so before we get into that little block, I just want to talk about how we got the rights to some stuff for the movie. So I talked about a little bit about this in a previous episode. Um the movie's called Party Stories, obviously, so it is a party. And one of the things... I, w- I didn't want it to look cheap visually. So having said that, I didn't want people walking around carrying red Solo cups because we didn't have the rights to show any beer or anything. So what I did is I contacted all the breweries in Vancouver, said, this is who I am, this is what we're doing. Are you interested in sponsoring us? You know, you don't need to give us cash, but we need to be able to legally show your beer on screen. And if you want to throw some free beer, that'd be awesome too. Yeah. So... 85 90% of breweries Didn't even bother responding Because we're no ones And you know Who cares about no ones Um A couple of Breweries got back And said hey You know Thanks for the interest But you know It's not really something We're looking to do And then two of them Ended up saying yes Which was Dogwood Brewing And Deep Cove Brewing Who legitimately like even if they hadn't sponsored us, I would be saying this, they are awesome in every way. They do have good beer and that's not just because they sponsored us. But having said that, once they did, you know, we got a lot of free beer. Many, many cases. Many that were just props. But um, one of the things I wanted to do for the cast and crew as well was in the middle of the film, it's a party montage. So I figured, let's not script that. Let's just have a rap party with all this free beer that the brewers have given us and let's just film it and put it together in editing. And we did. And, you killed that in everything because that fucking turned out great. Yeah. I mean, it looks like... looks like a party. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is what we're going for. (laughs) But like,
1: it fits in the film perfectly because there's, you know, cast and even crew just like hanging out, drinking, Mm -hmm. dancing,
0: like beer bong races. Yeah. And it was a great send-off for everyone too because, you know, we made this movie, every filmmaker says this, but this time it's true. We made this movie on nothing. It was like production, was roughly four-ish grand... And to ha- be able to find a way to give your cast and crew a send-off party was really great, and it's yeah. something that you usually wouldn't get to do on a budget like this. So that went a long way too, and I think it really, you know, just helped. It was a great cap on the experience for everyone. Yeah. So that was the beer, and then when you sit down and watch party stories. Um, the entire soundtrack we didn't have a composer we decided just to do original music so I went out sought out bands um, I come from a musical background so I did have a few bands I could contact, one of them being the Hell Bros that eventually made it into the movie they have phenomenal music that really fit the tone of the movie we wanted so I went up to them and I said hey, you know, I know you guys we played shows together, your tunes are awesome can I use some of them? The, some of them in the movie the lead singer is an actor as well so he was like, yeah, go ahead, use whatever you want. So we had access to their catalog, which was fantastic. And then the rest of them, I explored a couple, you know, jumped a few links to find some bands, but most of them was just throwing up like Facebook and Craigslist okay. ads. You're going to get a lot of freaks that contact you at this point. Like there was one guy, he was like, hey, I don't have any music, but I wrote some lyrics. Here they are. Can you use them? And I'm like... What am I going to do with just lyrics? And then there was this other dude that was like, Hi, I wanted my music to be in the film, but I don't record music and I'm a recluse. So will you come to my bedroom and I'll play you my music live? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. (laughs) And then there was another dude that got a hold of us. And he was like, I can write music for you in any style you need. Here's a link to my website. And I don't know what it was, but I showed you this, all of the, looking at his website, there was like three or four blocks of text. And the first one was like, wow, like this, these aren't really sentences, English isn't really that good. And maybe English wasn't his first language, but as he went on... It read like a Viagra commercial Do you remember this? Yeah, it there was
1: a lot of weird sexual terms thrown into the paragraphs
0: And not like just there Like he was trying to sell you something yeah. Like a lot about impotence and curing it and shit like that So like you're going to have to siphon through But then he had
1: links to his actual music too So I was like
0: what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to siphon through all that kind of weirdness And get to somewhere where Yeah you know, you find the good stuff that you want to use in your film, and, you know, don't discount Craigslist or Kijiji or whatever kind of site you use like that. We have a bunch of artists from Craigslist on this movie, and we actually used one that got a hold of us. Her name's Alex McCulloch, and she closes out the film with one of her songs that just, just fit so perfectly with the tone and the scene. Uh, it fits so well that I actually got a hold of her and said, hey, you know, can I use another one of your songs for the credits? and so, yeah, we have two songs of hers in the movie which are perfect and went over probably some of the best of any songs in the movies people really dug those ones yeah. um and at the same time you know we didn't have any money so i was just very upfront with everyone like look guys you're not gonna get paid out of this if i somehow make a million dollars off this movie yeah I'll, I'll throw you some cash but as of right now i don't have anything and just be very upfront tell people that, and. Most of the time, they'll be like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, we're all trying to make names for ourselves. Let's help each other out. Yeah. Um, Every now and then, you are going to get someone that is, let's call it demanding. For example, I was in contact with this one guy. I don't remember what his band name was and I wouldn't say it if I did but um yeah he was trying to get access to like all of our footage before we were done editing he's like if you want to use my song I want all your footage and I'm like it's very weird yeah I'm like I'm not giving you all this like that's very strange and if you don't want to give me your song as a result that's fine and then he he totally freaked out so I didn't get that song but if you're dealing with hard people like that just kind of let it go it's not the end of the world um So as far as securing rights to things, I think that was all we had to get the rights to. Can you think of anything else?
1: Um, Some music. Oh, yeah.
0: You had to get the life rights to Monk. Oh, yeah. There's a good one. Okay, so Jeff Monk is a character in Party Stories, and Jeff Monk is a real person that I grew up with. (laughs) He's a bit older than me, but I remember partying with this guy, and he had these... Strangest, most awesome demeanor I have probably ever encountered. I would, when I cast for him, I compared him a lot to Russell Brand and Jay from Jay and the Bob. In the fact that, looking at Russell Brand, he's super hyper intelligent. He has a lot of opinions about things, and a lot of opinions that can agitate and you know piss you off. But when if you look at them from a a dispassionate place, you see that every everything he thinks is grounded in logic and he's a really smart guy and he's not out to hurt you so it's hard to be mad at him because he's so hyper intelligent (laughs) and he's thought everything through without taking the time to think it through just very naturally smart and super funny so when we were writing this film i knew that i wanted him to be a character and i knew that we didn't have a movie without him so i called him up i hadn't talked to him in years and i was like hey monk uh What's going on? I'm making a movie And I need you to be a character man And I think The first thing he said was Do I get to have sex in the movie? (laughs) And you know I won't give you any spoilers But I answered the question And then I think his only request was that If he hooked up with someone in the movie The girl, the actress that his character Hooked up with Had to be attractive (laughs) And I was like, yeah, okay, man, whatever you want. But he was really great about the whole thing. So basically, I had to meet up with him. You know, we're all buddies, so we just shot the shit too. But I had to get his life rights, uh, life rights to his stories, to, you know, show him in the film. And when you watch the credits, I have a picture of him holding, like, a 20-foot anaconda. (laughs) But still a picture of him. So, yeah, I had to clear it with his life rights and get those. So that's,
1: yeah. Yeah that's like important for pre-production like those you know that month or whatever you have or whatever you allot you need to make sure you get you know your music kind of locked in Mm -hmm. if you're gonna have it in like actually playing in the scenes or whatever and getting the rights to you know if you're basing anything off a real person yeah
0: getting those rights cleared yeah, don't mess around with that too because like I remember hearing a story of uh, Anthony and Joe Ruzzo the guys that directed the Captain America movies yeah. and their first feature um, I guess became pretty famous because it went to Sundance and I, I've never seen it but apparently it's a really great film and when they went to sell it um, they had all kinds of classic rock songs and yeah. the distributors realized yeah. they didn't have the rights to any of these songs so they couldn't sell it and they can't put it online because they can't monetize it mm-hmm. so basically they're stuck with this film which apparently is awesome but they just can't do anything with it because they don't own rights to any of the stuff they used. And apparently they won't recut it because the film was specifically cut to the music, which makes a lot of sense. and yeah. You can't blame them for But make sure you have your bases covered to where if you go through a film festival or even if you just pick up distribution, you don't have any legal restraints tying you down because they're not going to want to be a part of that. If they bring it on, they release it a band or a person says, That's me, that's my music and sues you, they don't want any part of that. So you gotta clear everything beforehand. Yeah. If you really have any questions, just call up a lawyer. Say, hey, this is what I'm doing, micro budget film, can I just ask you questions for fifteen minutes? You know, maybe they'll charge you fifty bucks. Hopefully they'll give it to you for free, but yeah. just make sure you're not breaking any laws and you're not gonna get sued. Yeah. Specifically call an entertainment lawyer.
1: Yes. Like don't call like, a divorce lawyer and ask them about film. would <laughs> yeah. be very strange.
0: Yeah, so as far as rights, I think that was pretty much it, eh?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe clearing like a logo or like <laughs> if you're using like some clothing from like a local company. Yeah,
0: that'll be another thing, too. Like when you go to physically film and you're dressing your actors, um, like we didn't have rights to show any kind of clothing, so only have them wear unbranded clothing if a nike logo shows up in it, it they're you know maybe they'll show up and just be like hey cool they put our logo on this movie and not care but there's every real chance that they could come after you and just don't take that chance you yeah. know what i mean every now and then it'll pan out for you like um i remember someone <laughs> gorilla shot a movie in disney world did you hear about this yeah yeah they gorilla shot the whole movie in disney world and knowing that Disney would freak out and try and block it, which would only gain them more publicity. So Disney ended up dropping it. Right. And like, that is such a rare thing. You're not going to be able to pull that off. On yeah. So clear everything you need to, unless you're super geniuses like those guys. <laughs> and just make sure everything's above board because you don't want to get you know bitten in the ass. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then I guess before even pre-production started... There is a scene um, in Party Stories where people go hang out in the shed in their backyard, which we oh, named right. The Dungeon. Right. So one of the things we needed to know um, for shooting this was uh, I knew I was going to get a real shed and put it in my backyard to shoot this, but we needed to know the dimensions of, and, uh, of it to shoot right. in it. Yeah so basically I work at a company that provides staging and scaffolding for the film industry so we just went there on a weekend the company itself is in an old film studio so we just tested we set up a whole bunch of different structures saw how much space yeah. was inside we set up like roughly how it was going to be set up in the scene and just did camera tests and you know, it took a full day The we have <laughs> footage of doing it that is time lapse cringeworthy we had no idea what we were doing but, you know, if there's something like that, you got to test it. And we ended up discovering that we needed, what, like a 7 by, seven foot by 10 foot shed or something like that? Roughly. Yeah. Well, I'll just tell the whole shed story here. So we realized we needed that. And then we filmed at the end of January in what just so happened to be the worst winter Vancouver's had in like 20 years or something like that. It's really cold. And knowing the aesthetic of the film, I knew I didn't want... A, a shed that was, you know, new and polished. I wanted something like old, beat-up tin. So we found the perfect, perfect shed. It was all the way across town. We rented a truck. Dead of winter. Went there. And it turns out that there was so much snow that the fr- <laughs> the shed froze to the fucking concrete. Yeah. <laughs> so what we ended up doing was we just took a power saw and we sawed the entire thing in half. <laughs> and then we brought it to the backyard and just pinned it together. Yeah. Um, So you're going to have things that try and restrain you from doing the things you want to do. For instance, like we didn't know the dimensions of what we needed to shoot. So we found that out. And then we found the shed that we wanted. We found it. It was frozen to the ground. We tried to de-ice it. Didn't work. We said, how are we going to do this? And we cut the thing in half. Do what you got to do. Like in the circumstance of the shed for us cutting it in half, it wasn't the end of the world. Like even if you could tell on camera, because we wanted this thing to kind of look like a beaten up piece of shit. So if we had to cut it in half, like as long as it's not going to fall apart or have something catastrophic happen, it's only going to add to it. So know what you're getting into, know what you want for the end result, and just kind of connect the dots as you go. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, with pre-production, another aspect of it that was important was, like, pre-lighting and knowing what Mm. the setup of the room was going to be. Yeah. So when we did the promo videos to promote the film, like, Mm -hmm. internally, that was a great way for me to test the lights
0: yeah and for those videos we really got the look we wanted to yeah. i'd say the look of the videos is pretty close to the look of the, of the film. film
1: yeah which was exactly kind of what i was aiming for mm-hmm. so when we did the lot interviews and the stuff in the kitchen i set up the lights in places that i knew i might potentially put them mm-hmm. and then just shooting that and being able to like guess like what it would look like with more lights or you know less actors and gauging that was super important so for making a first feature like sit down with your dp and ask them how much lights are necessary for each scene or each room Mm -hmm. how much time you need to set up or if you want to pre-rig them which i recommend because pre-rigging the lights saves so much time on set
0: yeah we had a pretty fortunate circumstance where um we knew that we wanted to have pre-rig lighting almost in a way that a sitcom has it. Like, the lights are very stationary. You can walk into that set and, you know, basically do a 360 without seeing film gear. Now, obviously, a sitcom isn't that way because you have the fourth wall and that's where the audience sits. But in this circumstance, we're in our house, or my house specifically. So we knew we could put the lights on X, Y, and Z locations and we could come in with the camera and do a 360 and have it look the way we wanted it to look. Yeah. Now, having said that, we were in the fortunate circumstance where um, I happen to know someone who is a key grip in town, and he works on, you know, the bigger features. Uh, I won't name any of them or whatnot, but he has access to lighting. Um, and I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm doing this movie. Is there any way you could hook me up with some gear? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. What do you want? So we got all of our lights for free, which realistically probably halved our budget, which is yeah. incredible. Um, So, yeah, we went out and got the lights and set up everything in a way where we didn't have to do setups every day when we were in the house. When we were outside, a little bit more, change the light here or there. We had done a whole bunch of tests with natural lighting as well. So we knew we could get the look that we wanted with the gear we were using in the way we were using it. So test everything Um, as much as you can and there's always going to be some discovery on set but know what you want and know how to get it first so when you get to filming like we had seven days of shooting on this feature we didn't want to spend any of those seven days figuring out the lighting because you know it's seven days and when i say seven days for this it was we would start shooting as soon as it got dark at around 5 p.m and then no one on set we didn't have a driver or anything like that. So we had to get everyone home by public transit, which closes at one. So we had from five to one each day. So this isn't even like your typical 12-hour days where you can get everything in. This is shortened seven days. So we don't have any time for, you know, messing around with the lighting or figuring out X, Y, and Z. You get that done beforehand. And even if you have those longer days, figure it out beforehand because you can use that time better on set in production than you can dicking around with the lighting. Yeah, with... With pre-production and getting gear and
1: lights and all that stuff, I I actually didn't have... We didn't have a lot of gear anyways. No, not much. I put a couple, very technical, but like... Well, not that technical, but <laughs> a couple KinoFlow tubes mm-hmm. um, in each corner of the room. Yep. Uh, opposite of each other. above the exits, really. Yeah. And in the kitchen, I didn't have any stands. We just put them on top of the... Cupboards. The cupboards, yeah. yeah. And...
0: That was good. Like mm-hmm. it's all we really needed. So, yeah, it, it especially helps because like the look of the film we were going for is very naturalistic. We didn't. We wanted it to look how your eyes perceive the world. We weren't going for some you know harsh, harsh dramatized lighting like, I don't know, like three hundred would have. You know, yeah. um, so we knew how to achieve what we wanted with the gear we had. Yeah, and the sooner you can know that, the better. Yeah. yeah. Then the next.
1: So it was a we did a little production design, so I remember going to the thrift store and getting like paintings and Yeah, there wasn't
0: stuff. there wasn't much. We didn't really have time and money to do much. So like we decorated the shed, aka the dungeon. We put up a few things here and there. Um in the finished film you can see one of the pieces of art they have on the wall is this like strange painted sunset and then we just took magic markers to it And like drew Godzilla and Fighting a bunch of tanks On this like picturesque sunset Because yeah. we figured the characters Would have something like that In their In their house So basically whatever you could do To make it as authentic as possible And in a way Like we didn't get done What we wanted to get done Because we lost We had four days of pre-production And then seven days of shooting yeah. Which made up two weeks uh, The last day being turning all the gear Um and we had to cancel our first two days of pre-production because I had a buddy drive cross-country and crashed on my couch the day before we started rehearsals. And he brought nanovirus, also known as the stomach flu, with him. Yeah. And then it wiped out tons of people. So... It I could just sp- killed them all. Yeah. The- yeah, no, no, not dead, but, you know, really sick. Uh, so, like, the first night um, after that was... Or the night after my buddy crashed on my couch was the first night of pre production. It was when we were going to start decorating, which we did a little bit, yeah. the stuff we just talked about, but then we were going to start rehearsals. We started rehearsals, and maybe 45 minutes in, people started puking. Damn. And it was like, people have to get out of here because, you know, a couple people are sick now, but the last thing we want is getting our entire ensemble cast vomiting. That'd be gross because you know it's yeah A gross B we're shooting in three days yeah and this takes a little bit you know stomach flu it kills you it knocks you out for a little bit right so it's going to take you a couple days we don't have the money or the time to reschedule so we had to get everyone out of here the next day I woke up with the virus that was the day we were supposed to get the lights so I had to cancel that day of pre-production move picking up the lights to two days after because the day in the middle which I was still, like, so sick that I couldn't see straight. Even when I picked up the lights, I was that sick. You remember that? Yeah. I really shouldn't have been driving then. <laughs> but the second day, I had to cancel everything, too, because um, I read up on this nanovirus, and the only way to effectively kill it is you can't just, you know, wash the cupboards and, you know, rinse the tap and all that. You have to bleach your house. So I had to go to the store when I was, like, so weak that I could hardly walk Buy a tub of bleach come back to my house and scrub the entire thing. And, like, I don't know if you've ever had a stomach flu, but the last thing you want to do is inhale bleach for like eight hours. <laughs> it was fucking brutal. And then in the middle of that bleaching, I got a call that my credit card had been frauded and they had to cut it off. I wouldn't get my next credit card for about a week. So, going to the stuff we did rent that my boss didn't hook me up with for free, I didn't have a credit card to put down. Yeah. So at this point, it's like, okay, we're two days, call it three days in pre-production. We haven't done anything. All I've done is bleach my house. We don't have the lights yet because I'm sick. I had to send everyone home. People are recovering. And now I don't have a credit card to rent anything. Yeah. How are we going to do this? And at this point, it looks like this is going to be a two-part episode. So we're going to cut it there. And we'll pick up fun stories next time. Trust me, it gets even crazier than this. Yeah. But yeah, uh, tune in for part two of pre production because you're gonna you're gonna hear some stuff. You're yeah. gonna learn some stuff too. Some film craft. Yes. All right. Well, Night. see you next time. Thanks.